Hey everyone, it is Matt from the Medusa Metacast, and today I'd like to do something fun. I know that as of late, I've been releasing quite a few videos with maybe a little bit more of a serious or somber tone, and I do stand by those, but I do want to do some fun things. I believe it or not, do know how to have fun. And so today I'm going to um, have this uh, topic that was actually inspired by a friend of mine, and I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. But first, I want to mention that it's been somewhat of a disappointing year for me, uh, but not in the way that you'd expect. You see, the pandemic was one thing, but beyond that, I've made it known on numerous occasions, usually in episodes, that anyone is welcome to debate me on anything that I've stated or claimed since the inception of this podcast. And so far, there haven't been any takers. Debate is important, and I have no interest in retaining any views that I possess if they are properly dismantled, and I'm excited about the prospect of having my views eviscerated for my own benefit. That is, unless you think I'm right about everything, which obviously can't be. Debate is how we cooperate in figuring out which things can be resolved and which might be dead ends. And hopefully, we can do it in a good-natured and spirited way. It's easy to listen to me or read my comments and ignore them or respond with something conspicuously dismissive. It's another to engage me and test the metal of your convictions. What's the matter? Do you have doubts as to the quality of your untested perspectives? Good. You should. But let's test ours together. Or perhaps you're too egotistical to believe me worthy of your time. Egos taste delicious, and I'll happily devour yours. Aren't you hungry for mine? I just wanted to remind everyone that I'm still here, ready and waiting. Let's get into the topic. I wanted to dedicate this episode to my friend, John Durazio. For those of you that saw, he was one of the first guests that I had on the podcast besides Derek, and we had done it actually in person in my office here. Um, and uh, I owe, I credit uh, John for this uh, episode topic because uh, it wasn't on my radar until he asked me about it a few months ago. And the topic is on conspiracies maybe as a broad subject, uh, and then more specifically, the Great Reset. Now, before anyone immediately concludes that the Great Reset is simply a conspiracy theory, it is. Sort of. But not really. In order to examine this issue fairly, we have to examine conspiracies as a concept, because it may not be as baseless as you think. The Great Reset at first sounded unusual to me, and I wanted to learn more about it. I am generally highly skeptical about claims, especially ones that seem potentially specious when I first encounter them. I have a tendency to think almost too critically uh, about things. For those of you that know me in real life, uh, you'll know that's probably the case. Uh, and I usually think about them to the point where I've ruined it for everybody uh, and delegitimized pretty much everything that you can think or reliably deem to be true. Um, I play to my strengths. Uh, what, what can I say? Uh, my hope, though, after watching or listening to this two-part episode, you will have a better understanding of the fuss about the Great Reset, the legitimacy of the claims, whether it is wise to consider it a conspiracy theory, 
and how seriously you should take these claims. You heard that right. It's a two-part episode. I felt it would just be too long otherwise, and so I'm dividing it in two. The first part will cover conspiracies in a broader sense, and the second part, which would be likely longer and more in-depth, will focus more specifically on the elements of the Great Reset, individuals associated with it, the concepts of ownership, privacy, and happiness, and whether the Great Reset should be a legitimate concern for you. Keep in mind that conspiracies happen all the time, so they aren't controversial as a concept, but what makes a conspiracy different than a conspiracy theory is that one has been demonstrated to be true, or that there is at least good evidence to suggest that it is true. A conspiracy theory would be a perspective or view that attempts to explain something that has yet to be verified, and it may never be, or it may just be a matter of time. This is clearly different than a scientific theory, which typically infers a reliable and reproducible method or approach that generates a predictable outcome. And so the use of the word theory in conspiracy theory further confuses conversations about this topic. An interesting scientific approach to conspiracies, in my opinion, would be that humans will reliably engage in conspiracies for their own benefit and to the detriment of others. So then, we can predict that conspiracies aren't going anywhere, because there will always be an incentive for those with a game-theoretical approach to life or psychopaths, to justify to themselves that they deserve to benefit more than others in this game of life that we are all allegedly playing. But that not all observations uh, that infer conspiracy will necessarily be determined to contain one. Our job then, as a human population, is distinguishing between the two by examining the evidence and plausibility of events to determine if a conspiracy is capable of being discovered, because some, if left to progress to their penultimate conclusion, would generate such a significant and disproportionate outcome for human civilization that we will regret ignoring it before it was too late, and that is typically when blood is spilled in the pursuit of restabilizing nations and communities. Hence, I would argue that preventing certain goals from occurring by interfering with their progress saves lives and supports a stable human existence. If there was only one reason to pay attention to what is happening around you at all in life, that one would likely be sufficient on its own. No one would ever do things in secret to take advantage of me! First, let's define a conspiracy. A quick search online defined a conspiracy as a secret plan to do something unlawful or harmful. That seems reasonable enough. It would follow then, as a working definition, that a conspiracy theory is a collection of facts or perspectives that attempt to illustrate that something or someone is secretly planning to do something unlawful or harmful. A surprise birthday party wouldn't therefore constitute a conspiracy, because such a thing wouldn't be unlawful or harmful to someone. That is, unless you're surprising a celiac with a pizza party. Uh, that one was for you, Peter. Uh, the implication of this is that because it would likely be illegal, or at least unethical, to carry out your plan, it must be done in secret, away from the prying eyes of everyone. 
well, pretty much no one anymore, uh, because most things are available for us to see. We just aren't really looking most of the time. And that's kind of a reliable feature of human existence that will generally permit conspiracies to continue. Uh, everyone is too busy looking at pictures of themselves, uh, shopping, being so divided politically that we don't feel the need to actually think for ourselves anymore, or posting whatever virtue signaling nonsense that is popular today, which would currently be about the conflict in the Ukraine, uh, when you don't even really understand the issue. What? You're against a country being invaded? What a novel and virtuous position! I wonder how many of you would actually be willing to fight or die for your country, though. Not many. I didn't join Facebook until recently, and I have confirmed that all of the rumors are true. There is a lot of self-congratulating circle-jerking taking place on a regular basis by people who would never lift a finger to genuinely help others in any meaningful or real way. But you certainly posted some well-meaning words, didn't you? I think about deleting my account on a daily basis because, frankly, it's nauseating. That being said, there must still at least be a few people that care about maintaining the stability of their lives and the freedom that makes it possible. Notice that my definition of conspiracy is different than a belief in something supernatural or paranormal, but those two can have conspiracy theories constructed around them. Some examples of such phenomena would be that Elvis is still alive, that Bigfoot or other creatures exist and continue to evade human capture or observation, ghosts and spirits living among us, aliens existing or having visited Earth, and alien life being stored or protected at Roswell. And while these things on their own do not constitute anything more than a belief in something paranormal, they can have conspiracy theories constructed around them if, as some may claim, evidence of their existence is being deliberately concealed, and that this is being done for a nefarious purpose. Beyond the paranormal, though, there are clearer examples of conspiracy theories that attempt to explain events beyond their accepted reporting and documentation. These include the JFK assassination, 9-11, the death of Princess Diana, the first moon landing, subliminal advertising, a Zionist global takeover, the pursuit of a new world order, a flat earth, additives in our drinking water, and the list goes on. Even the current pandemic we find ourselves in has attracted its fair share of conspiratorial thinking. What's important to keep in mind here is that some of these events took place to be sure, and some can only exist within the confines of conspiracy. But even the recognized events of the past may have alternative realities or explanations on offer. I try my best to know what I can, but I acknowledge that there will always be information that I accept purely based on faith. I accept that some things happened, and that the explanations on offer could be correct. But then again, I only believe this to be true based on what I've been told and what I've been provided access to. I can't be everywhere when everything happens to experience it firsthand. And even if I could, this doesn't provide me with insight into how these events came to be. As a result, most of the information that any of us consume is curated and in the modern era, heavily curated, and it is being curated by entities with transparent and biased generally corporate incentives. I'm not sure that much can be done about this. We need to get information from somewhere. And to those whom traffic in information, 
they're not really any more ethical than anyone else. So they'll do it as they see fit. And it's essentially up to us to make the most sense of what is on offer. And this can be very difficult sometimes. With respect to each of the aforementioned events that have each received their fair share of conspiracy theories attempting to illustrate a truth, I remain somewhat agnostic about most of them. This is because I don't tend to concern myself with such things. I prefer to engage in abstract thinking, for better or for worse. There are some that I generally refuse to accept, though, such as the claim that aliens have visited Earth. But then again, Stephen Hawking also made the same refusal due to how many things would have to align in order for that to have occurred. There were only so many zeros after the decimal that we can accept or be willing to accept before we just call it impossible. But even then, some may prefer different terminology, such as extremely unlikely, because impossible is a particularly finite word. And I appreciate that point of view. I take a parsimonious approach to most things, because not only do I believe it's scientific, but it also tends to be logically deductive, which is something I try my best to be cogent with for anyone familiar with this podcast or me personally. There are some interesting considerations when it comes to conspiracy theories, though. The first one that comes to mind is how labeling someone as a conspiracy theorist has become among the most common non-sequitur insults that are levied in the modern era, especially in the West. It is unclear to me, though, how this has become a delegitimizing label, especially in an era where conspiracies and wrongdoing are regularly reported on, so I'm not sure where somehow we've uh, conveniently forgotten about the occurrences of them, even though they're reported on pretty much all the time. We see corruption consistently carried out through somewhat opaque motivations that remain a secret all the time. Spend a single day watching hearings in either the Canadian House of Commons or the U.S. House of the Senate, and you will witness exactly how infuriating the testimony is due to an unwillingness to be honest or share details of the inner workings of each respective agency and corporation. It is my belief that heterodox views, even ones that are fundamentally informed from clear observations and evidence, have been deliberately characterized as conspiratorial in nature and that this must mean that the bearer is crazy in some way, because conspiracies apparently never happen anymore. They are merely a relic of the past. Nope, nope, nope. We learned our lesson in the West. No one would ever do that anymore. Western modernity has somehow convinced many people that despots no longer exist, and attempts at capturing power over the citizenry of a nation only happens in third world countries, or it's only something we read about in history books. What this really means, of course, is that naysayers would have to swallow their pride and admit that they might be wrong about something that was staring them in the face the whole time, and they may have even voted for politicians that supported such endeavors. People would rather die than admit that they were wrong, and many do. We've become fat off of the spoils of our own success, and it has disarmed our psyche and primed us to be the recipients of the next luxury, which might be, according to the topic, owning nothing at all. Before I dissect the validity 
of the Great Reset. I want to concisely cover why we believe in conspiracy theories, because I believe it's valuable in highlighting some things about human nature. There are reasons that I think are relatively straightforward, as far as I can tell, and they are as follows. First, they're fun. It's fun to immerse ourselves in a world where prospective secrets lurk behind closed doors, waiting for us to uncover them. For this reason alone, we'll probably always discuss them, because they're interesting. Second, there will always be different versions of events, and different stories based on the experiences of different people. We like stories, and we like sharing our stories. Plus, there may be a hidden or unknown version of a story that we get excited about when it emerges. Third, they tease at forbidden knowledge. While the concept and allure of forbidden knowledge is too deep to cover here, I will say that humans possess a powerful drive to capture that which is forbidden. There is an allure to the risk and the danger of possessing something that no one else dares wield, and it makes us feel powerful, and sometimes it can give us a sense of purpose or orientation, despite the potential dangers embedded within. There is a great deal more I could say about this, but I'll leave it at that for now. And fourth, we like conspiracy theories because conspiracies happen, and therefore knowledge pertaining to such events is valuable. It's that simple. Knowledge is power, and if certain types of events seem to consistently reoccur all throughout human existence, then familiarizing ourselves with them will equip us with possible tools that can be utilized to prevent us from being victimized when they occur. Keeping all of that in mind, where does the Great Reset fall among such theories? Let's break it down a little bit, for starters. The concept of a social or national reset is as old as recorded history. It is a way of conveying an interest in reconfiguring a particular landscape or culture because it has been deemed so foregone that, due to a feature or set of features, that it simply cannot be rectified or corrected. And so, we need to overhaul the whole thing. Some important questions need to be asked whenever such a topic is introduced, such as, how did we get to this point, and who is responsible? Can you clearly articulate in detail what the problem is? Is the state of affairs naturally occurring, or has it been manufactured? Can you clearly articulate in detail what is meant by reset? What exactly is the proposed fix? And how will it actually fix it? In which ways does this address the existing issue that generated this state of affairs? Otherwise, will it not just occur again? The problem with answering any of these questions with respect to a conceptual reset is that they're impossible to answer in any meaningful way that would be deemed reasonable. And even if they weren't, there has never been an honest broker among the faithful of something like a reset who would be willing to let the public in on exactly how things will progress and what will likely be produced as a result of their implementation. So we, uh, we just wipe the slate clean, eh? Oh, oh, not the whole slate? Just parts that you believe we need to. Oh. Well, do we get a vote? On which parts? No, you don't get a vote. Uh, you never get a vote. That's how resets work. 
In the absence of a clear and present threat or danger, human societies are more complex than anyone can really understand or grasp. In lieu of specifics, the typical offerings will include utopian rhetoric, political propaganda, and empty promises that are never realized. That is, if history provides any evidence when such things were attempted. No, 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 no. This time, it will be different, said the last asshole and each one before him. The exact details will always remain clouded by fanciful words and idealistic portrayals, and we seem to be willing to fall for it every single time. We're pretty stupid that way, or at least endlessly hopeful. Hope is the human trait that falls prey to the concept of a reset and acts as the catalyst of our own undoing. We love the idea of wiping the slate clean. It's like a fresh start in a video game. It's part of the reason why so many people love celebrating New Year's and why many of us set out resolutions to meet. It's a way of becoming reborn, in a sense. Being reborn is a very attractive and romantic conceptualization. We seek to be a phoenix that rises from the ashes of our past selves. The problem is that, though, throughout human history, every potential reset that appeared attractive or even necessary produced untold suffering, a reduction in human rights, theft of the populace, death, starvation, destabilization in most sectors, government interference in daily life, and an aftermath that takes decades to overcome if a country manages to escape it at all. All of these occur, without exception, during every attempt at a reset, regardless of the real or perceived benevolence of the one leading the charge. This is part of the reason why discussions about resets are so triggering for some people. We aren't talking about acts of racism or violence. We're talking about a complete undermining of civilization. Reset is a charged word that... No politician should dare speak in the modern era for fear of eliciting images in the minds of those familiar with history, or for those in the modern era that maybe in some countries have lived through it, who will certainly oppose it. I find it perturbing that Prime Minister Trudeau was re-elected after publicly stating on more than one occasion that the pandemic serves as an opportunity for a reset, because that should have constituted political suicide. It appears, however, that either no one was paying attention, no one believes him capable, or maybe you just don't know how to interpret such a word when it's used in this type of context. So, is this new conspiracy regarding the Great Reset the same type of reset that we've come to observe in such instances as Cambodia's Year Zero Initiative, the establishing of the USSR, and the Chinese Cultural Revolution? Well, yes. And no, it's a reset within the same category of those past, and I'm sure it's being brokered as honestly and benevolently as previous characterizations of resets when they were each touted. It involves either a redistribution or a re-leveling of society that will likely be fueled by the resentful and self-righteous, which will then be further stoked by the wealthy and powerful, and everyone will suffer and have less than we did prior. That is, unless you're among the elite, 
or you're willing to prostitute yourself to the elite. Horrors that you only ever read about in history books will become waking dreams. If you think your life couldn't be any worse than it is now, or that you couldn't possibly have any less than you do now, wait and see. That being said, it's not really a conspiracy theory. In fact, I'm not sure that the World Economic Forum could be any clearer about what they are intending on doing. There isn't anything secret about it. Let's go through the Great Reset one step at a time, which I will do on part two of this episode. Check it out. <laughs> 